Praise the Lord. Last week we saw how the very Word, Jesus Christ, had become flesh and dwelt among us. That the invisible became visible, that the unapproachable became unapproachable, that the one that could never be handled was able to be handled. That holiness took on humanity while maintaining his divine deity. I love those words. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw that to celebrate Christ's first coming is not found in the customs or the culture of the world, but is found in the heart of those who trust and believe in him. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, great uh, pastor who was killed at the hands of the Nazis right before the end of the world, wrote these words, Who among us celebrate Christmas correctly? Whoever finally lays down all power, all honor, all reputation, all vanity, all arrogance, all individualism beside the manger. Whoever remains lowly and lets God alone be high. Whoever looks at the child in the manger and sees the glory of God precisely in his lowliness. Charles Spurgeon had this to say. Infinite and an infant and yet born of a woman, almighty, and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe, and yet needing to be carried in his mother's arms, king of angels, and yet reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas. How true is that? But there's much more to this wonderful first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to share with you on this Lord's Day. There are two important facts, really important facts, that I would like to assert today to help us draw nearer to Jesus Christ during this Advent season. And first, that at his first coming, that Jesus is the glory of God, and that Jesus is the final revelation of God. And I'll throw something else in there too, that we as believers indeed have a future hope because of those first two premises. So the beauty of Christmas, and we talk about this a lot, the beauty of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the beauty of Christmas is Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of Christmas. The hope of Christmas is forgiveness of sin and the new birth. And the joy of Christmas is that God came near to seek and to save that which was lost. And the peace of Christmas is for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because we know that one day we're going to see him face to face. Amen? So to look at the text, we're going to be going through the scriptures a little bit, but I chose as the primary text Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 5. Get your fingers ready to do the walking. Anybody remember where that was from? Let your fingers do the walking in the yellow pages. Some of you young and don't even know what yellow pages are. Isaiah 40, verses 3 to 5. I just want to give you a little bit of background regarding the text in Isaiah. 
The prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah parallels the Bibles in some ways. It's 66 books, just like there are 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 books speak of judgment against Israel and Judah that was about to come. The remaining 27 books speak of the grace and the future hope and the mercy that's going to be displayed by God. Much like the Old Testament speaks of a lot of the judgment, the holiness and righteousness of God, and the New Testament speaks of the grace and the mercy of God. Uh, the prophet Isaiah was called the evangelical prophet because he was perhaps the most evangelical in all of his writings. And um, in chapter 40, it speaks to the glory and the, and, the, um, and the might of God, of Yahweh. Now, chapter 40 is a famous, famous passage. Um, there are some really famous, great verses in chapter 40. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 talks about it, and we're going to look at that, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Verse 8, the word of the Lord stands forever. Verse 11, like a shepherd, he will lead us, speaking of Christ. Very, very parallel to John chapter 10. Verse 11, uh, 13 through to 14, he asked the question, to whom will you compare God? Here's a question for today, right? And then, of course, the very famous uh, end of chapter 40, verses 27 through 31, Though youths grow tired and, and young men stumble, yet they that wait upon the Lord will mount up with new uh, with uh, wings of eagles. And so we do. So the question has to be, what does this have to do f with Christmas, right? What does this have to do? And I'm going to show you. I want to show you that the true meaning of Christmas and the meaning of Christmas is that the glory of God is revealed. Look at verses 3 through 5. I'll read them through. A voice calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at verses 3 and 4. I don't know if you see something familiar in there, but look at verse 3. It begins with a voice calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Now that may ring a bell to some of you in the New Testament. There was a prophet in the New Testament that came announcing, clear the path for the Lord. Anybody know who he was? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And the New Testament Gospels testify to this that this is, in fact, John the Baptist, Mark 3.3, 3, Mark 1.3, Luke 3, uh, 4 and 6. John role, John's role was to prepare the heart for the coming of Messiah by rending their hearts toward God. Now, how did John do that? He did that by preaching a baptism of repentance. John's message was to repent. He was calling the nation of Israel. Repent, repent. Now there's a reason. John burst on the scene after 400 silent years where no prophet said, thus saith the Lord. And John came preaching a baptism of repentance. Now you think about it, repentance stirs the heart, repentance moves the heart, and it causes people to consider, where am I with God? 
With repentance comes conviction. With conviction is the vehicle for salvation. If the heart is stirred by the Spirit of God, if the heart sees its own inadequacies, its own sin, then the Spirit of God can come in and save that person. So before Christ came on the scene, John went forth, and John went forth preaching repentance. Remember the scene of Jesus down at the Jordan when he was there, when John was down at the Jordan and he saw the Pharisees coming? And John, in his ever-politically correct way, said, Who warned you, you brood of vipers, to flee the wrath of God to come? Could you see John doing that today? Oh, my goodness. About, talk about being politically incorrect. He was politically incorrect back then. Right? But he was saying, who warned you? You're not coming here because of your religious position. You're not coming here because of your national position. Unless you're coming here to repent and turn from your sins, then it's a waste of time for you to be here. And do you remember the reply of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that came to see him? Very odd reply. We have Abraham as our father. You ever see, you ever dawn on you like, what kind of response is that? Why, who warned you to flee the wrath of God that's coming? We have Abraham as a father. You know why they said that? Because the thought process was that no circumcised flesh would see Sheol. No circumcised flesh. So by the virtue of your national ethnicity and your identity, they were saved. What John was doing was actually what's called a proselyte baptism. And this was for a ceremonial cleansing for people who were Gentiles to come into Judaism. But John was not calling the Gentiles. John was calling Israel. And he was saying, we have strayed from God. We need to repent of our sin, not because of our ethnicity, not because of our national affiliation, but because we are separated by God for our sins. So when John confronts the Pharisees and they go, we have Abraham as our father, what they're saying, we're good. We're good. It's like many people hear the gospel message today. I think in the summer or the spring, I preached two messages called, I'm good with God. And it was for the ones that hear the gospel message and they go, no, 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 I'm good. I don't have to take it that far. I'm good. I'm good with God. God knows my heart. But the problem is indeed that God does know our heart. And God knew the heart, which is why God sent John the Baptist in advance of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 3. It says, Clear the way for the Lord in a wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. John's role in preaching that baptism of repentance, what he was doing is he was making smooth a highway for Christ to come in. The hearts would be rend. Their hearts would be convicted. The Lord would follow with the gospel. And people would come to know the Savior. 
So make smooth the desert and the highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be a hill made low. And this was part of the ancient custom of kings sending out heralders into towns with messages. There were no emails, there were no tweets, there was no Facebook, there was none of that stuff. News traveled slow. So king would send out heralders in their territory that would come into the middle of the town and make the proclamations and make the announcements that the people needed to hear, right? This herald would announce news about the king. King is coming, okay? Would go before the caravan and people would go before the king's caravan as it went into the town and and they would make sure it was a smooth path. Now at his first coming, the prophets, ending with John the Baptist, they, what, what did they do? They prepared the way of the Lord. They were preaching of one greater that was going to come. They were preaching of a Messiah that was going to come. They were preaching of one who would bring peace, whose reign would never end. And at his second coming, let me submit this to you. At Jesus' second coming, the church, the believers in Christ. We are the heralders now that Christ is indeed coming, that men and women everywhere should repent in preparation for the coming of this king. And we do that through the proclamation of the gospel, by declaring the gospel truths. We are the heralders. We're clearing the wilderness of unbelief and the mountains of opposition and the valley of despair. That's what the mission of the church is to do. We bring the good news to all people everywhere that there is, as the angel said, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. At His second coming, the glory of Jesus Christ will be fully revealed fully revealed. Nothing is going to be veiled. He will shine in his glory and his holiness and his righteousness. Nothing at all will be veiled. When he came his first time, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Isn't that what we just sang? He was veiled in flesh. When he comes the second time, he's going to be glorious, magnificent in all of his holiness and all of his righteousness. And the righteous of all ages are going to rejoice. I know I'm going to rejoice. I'll tell you that. The righteous of all ages are going to rejoice. And the unbelievers, they're going to shudder. And yet, Scripture tells us that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How? To the glory of God the Father. Look at verse 5. After this, John the Baptist goes and he clears everything. What happens? Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord. Scripture makes it abundantly clear who the glory of the Lord is. It is none other than Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is indeed the glory of the Lord. 
Christ is that glory. And because he is the glory of the Lord, we know when we celebrate Christ's first coming, we celebrate the glory of God come to earth to dwell among all people. As we saw last week in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Where else have we seen some of this God's glory that have taken place? Well, there are several places. In the announcement of the birth of Christ, right in Luke chapter 2, verses 9, 14, and 20, it says the glory of God uh, shined around the shepherds, and the shepherds were, I like the way the King James says it, the shepherds were sore afraid. They were so afraid. The glory of God shone. What I wouldn't give to see the glory of God as such. What I wouldn't give to see what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6 when he walked into the temple and he said, I saw the Lord. And the seraphim were flying back and forth crying out, Holy, holy, holy. We saw the glory of the Lord in the manger in Luke 2.20. What happened to the shepherds when they went to see him? Well, Luke 2.20 tells us, And the shepherds went back, glorifying, praising God for all that they had seen and heard, just as it had been told them. Well, why were they glorifying and praising God? Because they beheld the glory of God in the, in the manger. They didn't just go there and see a baby. They saw the glory of God. And consequently, that glory produced in them the ability to glorify God and praise God and tell the people all that was seen. We saw the glory of God on, as Christ walked on the earth, as we saw last week. John tells us when Christ came, we beheld his glory. The only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. As he dwelt among us, as he tabernacled among us, as he pitched his tent among us. We see the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 too. As Christ was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And by the way, if you ever look at Revelations chapter 1, when Christ is walking among the lampstands, his, his face is shining, his clothes is a dazzling white, it's blinding because the glory of the Lord is upon him. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 1.16, it reads, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Oh, the glory of the Lord. The glory of Jesus. The glory of Christ. At Christ's first coming, there were some, albeit few, who realized the glory of God was among humanity? Well, the shepherds knew it. They had a spectacular announcement that was given to them, right? How'd you like to be alone at night in the fields, keeping watch over the flock, looking out for wolves and all the others when the sky peels back and a multitude of the heavenly hosts appear and they bring the announcement of a Savior who was born this day in the city of David and then the scripture says suddenly there appeared with them a multitude, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth.
peace and goodwill toward men. Boy, oh boy, there are certain places, I've said this time and time again, but there are certain places in history I would love to be. I wish I could have been at creation. Could you imagine? Nothing. Nothing exists. And God spoke the word. And everything came into being. He spoke the word and he created light. He spoke the word, he created the oceans. He spoke the words and he created the animals. He spoke the word and he, and, and he spread the stars out in the sky. The universe was created. He knew every single star by name. The sons of the morning prose up to praise him and sing. Oh my goodness. I think if we were in human flesh, we would die from the sheer spectacularness of creation. I would have loved to have been on Mount Carmel with my crazy man, Elijah. When he challenged the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, and took them up and said, hey, the God that calls down fire from heaven, he is indeed the God in heaven. And I would have loved to have seen those prophets of Baal for six hours whipping themselves and cutting themselves and crying out to Baal to send fire from heaven and nothing happened. While Elijah sat on a rock over there taunting them. Hey, maybe your God went to the bathroom. Maybe he's on vacation. He can't hear you. That's literally what he says. And then the Bible says that he built the altar of God. Twelve stones. He dug a trench around it. And he got water and poured the water on. Poured it on the wood. Poured it on the stones. And I could just imagine the people going, this guy's out of his mind, man. If you want fire, the last thing you want is water. And then Elijah just says a simple prayer. Father, that these people may know. And fire came down from heaven, consumed the water, consumed the wood, consumed the sacrifice, consumed everything on the altar. What I wouldn't give to be there. What I wouldn't give to be with the shepherds that night in the field. To see the sky roll back and peel back and see a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. I have no idea what that was like. How blessed they were. And notice how anonymous they are in Scripture. What I wouldn't give to see Jesus outside the tomb of Lazarus. And say, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Man, oh man. What I wouldn't give to, to be in the garden the day of the resurrection. When that stone came rolling away. When the power and the might of God raised Jesus from the dead. And what I wouldn't have given to have been in Pentecost. When the Spirit of God fell 
and so miraculously did it fall that the people around thought they were drunk. But the authenticity and the power of the move of God descended. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to get to see a miracle. You're going to get to see a miracle? I'm going to see a miracle. Because I'm going to tell you what. Whether I'm dead or whether I'm alive, I will be there when the trumpet blows, when the voice of the archangel shouts, when the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we which shall remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord forevermore. And if you're in Christ, you're going to see that miracle. And it is going to make up for all the other ones we didn't see. For so powerful and glorious is going to be the sight. Because in that moment, the glory of God, Jesus Christ, is going to be revealed in all of his glory. And can I give you something that's a little twisted and off script? Maybe this is not going to sound pastorly or Christian. There's another day I want to see. Maybe this is wrong of me. I don't know. But I want to see that judgment day. And I want to see Satan cast into the lake of fire. And I want to see every demon that ever tormented us and ever defeated us and ever tempted us and tested us cast in the lake of fire and Christ exalted, lifted up, no more evil, no more. I want to see it done with. Yeah, the shepherds knew it. Simeon knew it in the temple when he saw the baby Jesus and he said, now my eyes could close in peace for I have seen thy salvation of Israel. Anna the prophetess knew it. The disciples knew it, although they were slow of heart, they finally caught on. And all came to be known and be changed by their encounter with the glory of God. And if you are in Christ, you know it. Because you know how the glory of God, Jesus Christ, has changed your life. So as we celebrate Christmas, the first thing we know that Jesus Christ is the very glory of God. The second premise I want to submit to you is that Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. Jesus Christ had come, the full revelation of God, the revelation of the Father. And the writer of Hebrews, he just captures this so greatly. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. It reads as follows. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portion, in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, underline that in your Bible, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand on the majesty of high. Note the following regarding Hebrews 1, verse 2. In these last days, he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. There it is. 
the glory of God, we proclaim it because he is the full revelation of God. And by the way, to reject Jesus is to reject God. To reject Jesus as the revelation of God is to reject God completely. You can't have God and not have Jesus. No longer is Christ revealed in, in types or typologies. Christ in the ark as in the days of Noah. Christ on the Mount Moriah as in the sacrifice of Isaac. Christ in Joseph as forgiveness. No longer do we see Christ in the Passover lamb. Christ as the manna. Christ as the bronze snake lifted up. Christ as the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Christ as the fourth man in the fire. The full revelation of God came in Christ. And the long-awaited for and much-anticipated revelation of God was there in flesh, and he dwelt among us. And he exercised his rightful authority over the Word of God, over the temple, over creation. What are all the miracles of Christ? It's his rightful authority over creation in every single aspect of it. He exercises authority over demons, over illness, even over death. Rather than millions and bazillions of people flocking to him, they crucified him. And I love the way John says it at the end of John 1.14. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. So we see that Christ is the glory of God. We see that Christ is the revelation of God. And then there's the added part that I submitted to you. And that is the hope of Christ. When we remember Christ's first coming, we marvel that the glory of God dwelt among us. That there were those who were able to behold Jesus, eat with Jesus, touch Jesus, learn directly from Jesus. But God has reserved greater yet to come. At Christ's first coming, our Lord Jesus came humbly. J.I. Packer states this, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of a peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. But we which are here today have a hope of yet another great event. One where our Lord Jesus Christ will indeed come. But this time, he's not coming humble and lonely in a manger. But as the re full revealed glory of God. As the coming king. And he will indeed rule and reign over his creation. He will come to bring justice. He will come to bring righteousness. He will come to end hatred and rebellion. Evil will be done away with. The afflicted will find healing. Those who have longed for him will see him. And he will be exalted by believer and unbeliever alike. Let me state that again. Those who have longed to see him will indeed see him. Have you longed to see Jesus? Have you longed to see Jesus? 
to lay hold of him, to place your eyes upon him, to embrace him. We will see him. And when Jesus comes, he will set the course of history right. And his reign will know no end. Listen to the words of Scripture. Isaiah 40.10 Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. 1 Thessalonians 4. 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And notice these words. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. When we're overwhelmed, when we're over, uh, overwhelmed, when we're defeated, when we're in the midst of illness, when we're in the midst of brokenness, when we're in the midst of being broke, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 13. Then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. With righteousness he judges and wages war. He has eyes like blazing fire and many royal crowns on his head. He has a name written on him that the only he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. And let me tell you something, John deliberately does that. His name is the Lagos, the Lagos, the Word of God. Church, we are encouraged to keep on with Christ, to staying faithful until the end, overcoming by the blood of the Lamb. Christ Himself, listen, Christ Himself is our reward. Christ Himself. The glory of Christ is our reward. Again, listen to the Scriptures. Revelation 2.17 he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Revelation 2.26 And he who overcomes, he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. We are joint heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of God. Let that sink in for a moment. We are joint heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of God. Those that are led by the Spirit of God. Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before His angels. Hey, how magnificent is this, that the Lord will, con uh, we will be confessed by Jesus Himself before the Father. We will know our God, and here's the best part, we will be known by our God. He's not going to get up there and say, if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, He's not going to go, um, uh, is it Ricky, Ricky? 
Ricky, what's your, your last name's with an L, right? La, 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 Lang, Ricky Lang, Father Ricky Lang. We will know our God and we will be known. We will be known by our God. That is awesome. Amen, sister. You're 100% right. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. We will share in the glories of God. That is inconceivable to me. We will share in the glories of God. And let me share something else. Revelations 3.21 He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his home. Just get Get the picture here. I, I really want you to get this picture. In any kind of monarchy, no one would endeavor to sit on the throne of a royal. I want you to get this picture. It would be the height of contempt the height of disrespect for a commoner or a person who's not authorized to sit on that throne. If you go to Buckingham Palace, nobody runs in the throne room and says, take a picture of me in the throne chair. Wouldn't be permitted? The height of disrespect. Notice the words of the Lord. To him who overcomes, I'm going to grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also came and sat down with my father on his throne. I said last week when we looked at the word became flesh and dwelt among us, I said the invisible became visible, the unapproachable became approachable. The one that couldn't be beheld, you were able to behold him and touch him and feel him and eat with him and walk with him and talk with him. The very God became human flesh. And as I said to you just before, Christ himself becomes our reward. But not only does he become our reward, but we get to sit with him in his place his royal place his divine place why because we have been made right by the blood of jesus christ and so we can come with boldness and let me share something you could do that today you could come with boldness before the throne of god if you are in christ finally and foremost and this is what i love the most We will be home. We will be home. The hidden things will now become real. What was hoped for 
will become reality. The long-awaited glory of Christ will be realized. There'll be an end to sickness, an end to suffering and evil. Justice will finally be established. The long cries for Christ and God will be satisfied. The striving against sin will be over. No more temptation. No more depravity. No more longing for the wicked thing. The striving against sin, the war against sin will be done. Peace will be established and will be permanent. No more will we roam. No more demonic taunts. All the demons who ever tempted us and tested us and tormented us will have been cast in the lake of fire and never more to bother us. Praise God. Oh, church, while Christ is indeed the glory of God, while Christ is indeed the full revelation of God, there is a glory to come when we share in the full resurrected glory of Christ. We must hold on just a little bit longer. We must continue to overcome just a little bit more. We must keep our eyes focused on Christ, focused on the church, continue to be diligent in the things of God. We must love each other with the love of Christ. We must demonstrate that love of Christ to the unsaved, to the unbeliever. Let us not become cloistered in our religion that we can only hang out with these people, we can only do this, but let us extend the love of Jesus Christ to all that we come in contact with. We must remain in Christ. We must remain in the Word of God so that these promises will indeed be ours. Our heart's desire should be that the Lord is glorified, exalted, and proclaimed. I started this morning by saying the beauty of Christmas is Jesus Christ. The hope of Christmas is forgiveness of sin and new birth. The joy of Christmas is that God came near to seek and to save that which was lost. The peace of Christmas is all who put their faith and trust in Him shall see Him face to face. We saw the Scripture testify that Jesus Christ is indeed the glory of God. We saw the Scripture testify that Christ came in the form of flesh, that He was beheld by those around Him. That the Scripture writers testify that Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. And it is upon this truth that believers in Jesus Christ can place their faith and trust. And let me share something. And all who believe will not be disappointed. We saw that believers' hope will be rewarded upon the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we shall behold Him, when we shall see Him as He is. So we press on despite rejection. We press on despite persecution. 
we press on despite trials, testings, and temptation in hope of the glories, the glorious revealing of the Son of God. But all these promises, all these promises are for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Him alone, in Him only. And if you haven't done that, if you've not been born again, then this is the time to take care of that now. Turn to Christ. Confess and repent of your sins. There's only salvation and new life in Christ. Cry out to God for mercy. Say, God, save me a sinner. I put all of my trust in, in the finished work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again to give me new life. Father, there is nothing else. I bring nothing except sin. Father, save as your word states. Let your promises grab hold of my life. Dear God, save me from my sins. Cry out to God for mercy. For mercy. There is nothing more important. Remember I said that as Christians, as the church, we're the heralders. That's what we herald. And at this time of year where there's a sentimentality, there's a religiosity attributed to Christmas, why not now proclaim the glories of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, I realize that there's many times when I preach the Word of God that you preach what's bigger than you. Lord, while we celebrate that first coming of Jesus, Lord, how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of God full of grace and truth, so much bigger. When we consider that Jesus Christ is the glory of God, it's so much bigger. And when we consider that Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God, it's so much bigger. Lord, and when we consider future things, Lord, it is so much bigger than us. Lord, I long for the day to see you face to face. I long for the day, Lord, when everything I ever hoped for, everything I ever wanted is found in Christ. I long for the day, Lord, to be home, to be with you. I believe it will be the first time in my life that I will feel right. And so, Lord, as the days continue, Lord God, as we come close to celebrating the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, may you burn in our hearts. Burn! That we would magnify and glorify you, Lord. We ask you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Bless God.